God's chosen people, Israel, constantly have chosen to turn their back on God, right? Over and over and over again. Hey, God, no thanks. I want to do my own thing. And so they reject God and turn their back on God, even though God created them. And the best thing for them was to have a close relationship with him. Those things that they thought would provide happiness, those things that they thought were going to satisfy them. And, but rather than it satisfying them, in the end, what it did was just led them to ultimately slavery and leading to darkness, And so that's what we've talked about. So we ended last year before Christmas, basically with God's chosen people in 586 BC being led out of their homeland that God had established for them into a a foreign country called Babylon where they were made slaves. Just like they were a thousand years beforehand in the story that God had freed them from. And so if we stop there and we're like, all right, man, great story. Actually, that would be a terrible story. Or at least that would be a story that none of us would like. And it would be a hopeless story. But the good news is, is that God's not done. In spite of what Israel has done, God's plan is still being rolled out. And God's got something much better in store for them. But as we kind of find ourselves not only kind of moving out of the old year into the new year. And about to go from the Old Testament into the New Testament. I think it's a good time for us to stop and just look back over the last few months and ask ourselves a couple of questions. And the main question that I want us to think about for the next few minutes is this. How are we like Israel in the Old Testament? Even though we may not like to admit it, how similar to the Israelites are we actually on a day-to-day basis? And so there may be some warning signs that Israel ignored or looked over or didn't heed to that we could find and see and that could enable us to not experience a lot of pain and tragedy and heartache in our lives but rather to experience God's best and to experience that close connection that we were created for. And so over the next few minutes we're going to quickly go through what I think are four things, four ways that I think we might be more than we would care to admit, similar to Israel in the Old Testament, all right? So if you want to write these down, you can. These would be things that you can talk about in a few minutes in your small groups. But here is the first way I think we might be similar to Israel. We blame God for our problems. We blame God for our problems. So it started at the very beginning, really. As soon as sin entered the picture, with Adam and Eve in the garden, they immediately, once sin started, they started the blame game. So Adam blamed Eve, right, and ultimately God, and then Eve ended up blaming the snake. And it didn't stop there because throughout the rest of the story, it continued to be pointing the finger at God and blaming him for really what was our responsibility. So Israel did the same thing. When they were enslaved in Egypt, they cried out to God and they wondered why God was allowing them to go through such pain and suffering. They blamed God for that. Then when God brought Moses and led the people out of slavery and delivered them from that as they're in the desert, having just left Egypt in their rearview mirror, they're immediately blaming God again. Why are we stuck out here in the desert? We would have been better off back in Egypt instead of out here. And so they start blaming Moses, blaming God once again for their suffering. And then throughout the rest of the story, it continues on. So then as you get to the end of the Old Testament, there's a small book in the end that's called Habakkuk. 
And um, maybe you've never read it. It's just, there's just three chapters. But Habakkuk in the Old Testament was a prophet. And he was one of God's spokesmen. He would go to the people and he would tell people, you know, instructions from God. Hey, beware of this. Hey, if you don't turn from your sin, then, you know, you're going to suffer the consequences for it. So he was trying to persuade the people back to God. And so Habakkuk lived in, in Israel right before Israel was taken captive to Babylon. And so Habakkuk is looking about, it hadn't even gotten to its worst yet because they're, they're not enslaved yet. But he's looking at all the sin, he's looking at all the stuff that's going on. And even he too, as God's spokesman, starts questioning God and even passing some of the blame in God's direction. And here's what he says in Habakkuk chapter 1. He says, how long, O Lord, must I call for help? But you do not listen. Violence is everywhere, I cry, but you do not come to save. Must I forever see these evil deeds? Why must I watch all this misery? Wherever I look, I see destruction and violence. I'm surrounded by people who love to argue and fight. The law has become paralyzed. There is no justice in the courts. The wicked far outnumber the righteous so that justice has become perverted. So there's some pretty strong accusations that Habakkuk is making towards God. And I wonder how many of us have made similar comments to God. God, why is there suffering in my life and you're not doing anything about it? God, why are you constantly allowing me to experience this heartache? God, I've cried out to you and asking for answers. I've cried out to you and you seem distant. You seem silent. You're not answering me when I'm calling out to you. And I wonder how in moments of honesty where we are just throwing our hands up going, God, are you even there? Do you even care? What are you up to? And then in Habakkuk chapter 2, the beginning of that next chapter, he's actually got the guts, the audacity to be able to say this in verse 1. He says, I will climb up to my watchtower and I will stand at my guard post and there I will wait to see what the Lord says and how he will answer my complaints. So he basically is like, I'm going to stand at the top of my watchtower with my arms folded and I'm going to tap my foot and I'm going to wait to see if God's got any answers for me. And I wonder how often we may do the same thing. And you look at Israel and you go, how often did they turn their backs on God and suffer the consequences for that? And yet, what did they do in a lot of moments? They would blame God for their poor circumstances and their consequences. They wondered why he had turned his back on them. They didn't even bother to think why they had turned their back on him. And so do we do the same thing sometimes? I think maybe there is sometimes this false perception that everything should be rainbows and butterflies and we should be happy and Everything should go well and God should bless our lives. And when it doesn't happen or when pain enters the picture, we blame God. Or we doubt that God's there. or we, That becomes kind of our excuse or reason why we doubt that God is even in existence. And so I think what we have to do is realize that pain and suffering in this life hits all of us. It was not part of God's original plan. It was not part of what God had set up and that close relationship that you and I were meant to experience. But because of sin entering the picture, it severed that connection and now there is pain and heartache and suffering. 
And so you and I, I think we find ourselves in bad or negative circumstances probably most of the time for one or two reasons. Maybe the first reason that we find ourselves in a negative circumstance is we make poor choices, we've made sinful decisions, and we suffer the consequences for that. And maybe there are moments where we go, man, God, I should be able to do whatever I want to do, and you should spare me from some of the consequences of that. And God's like, it doesn't work that way. I love you and I care about you, but if you choose to run away from me and chase after other things that will not satisfy you, there will be negative consequences as a result of that. And so maybe there are some of us that find ourselves in that place because of that. The other reason we may find ourselves in that is maybe we're honoring God or maybe we're just kind of walking through life but as a result of sin and pain and suffering now as part of the story even though God didn't desire that originally God is now choosing to use those things to shape us and make us more like him and that's not anything that we start clicking our heels together about and get all super excited but that's the reality That pain and suffering is a great teacher that God uses. I mean, you look at the Powell family that we just showed a picture of. Here's a Christian family who is trying to love God and serve him and love him. And then all of a sudden he catches cellulitis and they try to, one thing leads to another and he loses his leg. And over the last year they go through this year where there are moments, and she said when we're in her living room, like moments where we're, we're not sure what God's doing. And we don't have all the answers. And yet, what they saw as a result of what God was doing in those negative circumstances is God shaped their faith and deepened their relationship with him and made them more like him than they ever were before that took place. And that's one of the reasons why we may find ourselves in those circumstances. And so the question is, whether we're in that moment now or maybe we will be in the future, do we blame God for that? Do we make sinful choices and bad decisions and then blame God when we suffer the consequences for that? Or if we find ourselves going through pain and tragedy or heartache that all of us at some point or another in our lives will experience, are we open to what God may be wanting to do and how God may use those things to shape our faith and deepen our love for him? Or are we just willing to point the finger at him and question what he's doing? So that's the first way that we may be like him. Here's the second thing, and I think this might be the biggest. We've been created to be set apart, but we're too much like the world around us. So God's story involves a promise, right? A promise that God made to a a guy named Abraham, hey, I'm going to bless you and I'm going to use you to create a nation and I'm going to set not only you apart, but your ancestors, your descendants that are going to outnumber the grains of sand on on the beach and I'm going to use you and I'm going to create my chosen people and you're going to be mine and you're going to be set apart and I'm going to use you and do great things and wonders amongst you. And so right after God delivered the people out of Egypt, he makes this covenant with with them in Exodus chapter 19. He says, now if you will obey me and keep my covenant, you will be my own special treasure from among all the peoples on the earth. For all the earth belongs to me and you will be my kingdom of priests, my holy nation. So God is telling Israel, look, you're my chosen people. 
you've been set apart and I love you and you're going to be more special than any other people group all over the world. And so when Israel moved into the promised land, God gave a command to them. He said, hey, when you go into the land, I need you to go ahead and get rid of all of the other customs and all the religions of all these other nations that are in the land right now. Don't have any, not only don't have anything to do with them, but you need to get rid of them. Don't take on their gods. Don't take on their customs. Don't take on their different things that they do, but rather get rid of them because there are people around and all those other false gods. Then what would end up happening is their hearts would be drawn away from the true God into all of those other gods. And they would in turn, rather than being set apart and looking like God's chosen people, they would rather look like every other, every other people group on the planet. But Israel didn't listen. And they got into the promised land and they cut corners and they didn't get rid of all those other foreign gods and all those other customs, but they let some of those other things survive and stick around. And one thing led to another and their hearts were turned away from God towards some of these other gods. And they began to find their significance and their happiness, not in who God had called them to be as his chosen people, but rather in some of these other people and some of their other customs and the other gods that they had created. And I wonder how true again is that of us. Where you and I have been set apart and God has invited you and I into a close relationship with him. Where God says, I have called you by name and I love you and desire to have a relationship with you. And you can be my special child and I love you and and want what's best for you. And so if you will follow after me and not live according to the people around you, but rather if you will be set apart for me and follow after me, then you will not believe what I can do with your life. And yet I think a lot of times, more or less, we look like the world around us. Ephesians 5, 8 through 10, Paul has given us the same instruction. Here's what he says. He says, once you were full of darkness, but now you have light from the Lord. So live as people of light. For this light within you produces only what is good and right and true. So carefully determine what pleases the Lord. Take no part in the worthless deeds of evil and darkness. Instead, expose them. I brought you into the light. You were once enslaved, but now I brought you, I brought freedom. You were once dead in your sins, but now I've woken you up. I've made you alive. I've breathed life into you. And you were once like everybody else, but now I have pulled you out of that to be set apart, to be my chosen people, to live for me and love me and honor me and experience the best that I have for you. And there are so many of us that are trying to live that out. We're trying to do what Paul commands us in Ephesians chapter 5. We're trying to love God. We're trying to seek after him. We're trying to distance ourselves maybe from some of those negative influences. And, and we're trying to, to live out the commands that God's given us. But then I think if we're honest, there's a lot of us that aren't. And I'm not saying that in judgment. I'm not saying that in any kind of condemnation or whatever. I'm just trying to challenge us to, to see the reality of the way that we may be living because there's something greater for us. So one of the things that we've really been encouraging is these Tracing the Thread devotionals. 
And the reason why that's such a big deal is because it's an opportunity for us to experience that close connection with God. That daily relationship with him where God is speaking to us and he's challenging us. And so many of you guys have made that a priority and you've bought the book and and you are spending time, maybe not every day, but you're trying to create that rhythm and you've never had that rhythm in your life before and and it's beginning to change your life and you're experiencing the goodness of God and God's speaking and challenging you in different ways. But then there's some of us that are like, eh, seems boring. And that book seems too big. And I've got enough books. I've got enough assignments at school. I don't really want another assignment. Or whatever perception it is that we have about these devotionals. But for whatever reason, we've chosen not to do that. And I think you are missing out on a huge opportunity. And that's why we keep talking about it every week. Because we don't want any of you to miss out. Because there's an opportunity for you to experience not God from afar, but rather God up close and personal. That God knows you and sees you and wants to speak to you. And my life has been forever transformed because I was able to, when I was in middle school and in high school, learn the value of that close relationship with God, that that connection with God and spending time with him one-on-one. And God has shaped my life and changed my life and he can do the same for you. We say all the time, maybe every single week, that small groups are the most important thing we do. That we value so much the small group that we have here. And we are a better ministry when each small group is healthy and growing together. And many of you are experiencing that in your group. And you're prioritizing that part of it. And you're experiencing some deepening relationships. And you are spending time with those small group leaders who love you. And they are in your life. And they care about you. But let's be honest. There's some of you that have chosen not to. Maybe you get in your car and you go home after that. Maybe sometimes you skip because you're like, I don't really feel like going to small groups tonight. Or maybe you've tried a couple groups and then you've just given up because you feel like, man, I didn't connect with that first group, so there's probably not a group for me. And we're not going to force any of you to go into a group. So if, if you choose to go home after this, that's your decision that you can make. And we love you and we're glad you at least come here. But you're missing the best part of what we're doing. Because we were created to live life together. And there is an opportunity in those groups to grow together in a way that might be the difference between us living sold out for Jesus and us beginning to look like everybody else around us. And it's an opportunity for you in that group to challenge each other and to encourage each other and to be encouraged by other students who are trying to be set apart just like you are. I think a lot of times there are moments where we sometimes value the opinions of our friends or the culture around us more than we value what God says. Whether it be about truth, whether it be about how we should handle relationships, whether it be about what we believe, whether we should be sexually active, whether we should go to that party on Friday, whatever it is. I mean, there's any number of things where we value the opinions of our friends and the culture around us more than we value what God says. And so we value what 
man, what, what Cardi B may say or what Ariana Grande is singing about or what, you know, Future or Drake or whatever. I mean, we listen to all that other stuff and, and all of that stuff soaks into our mind. And I'm not saying like you should only listen to like hymn music, all right? But I'm saying the culture around us is influencing us and it's not pushing us closer to Jesus. And if we're not careful, if we don't evaluate the things around us that we are allowing to influence us, then we will go down a road that God didn't intend us to go down and we'll look around and go, man, I'm, in reality, I look a whole lot similar to everybody else around me when God has created me to be set apart. And so my challenge and my question to you is, what are you allowing? Who or what are you allowing to influence you? And are those things pushing you closer to Jesus or are they pushing you further away? Because you and I have been called to be set apart. Here's the third thing. Our relationship is directed towards God freed Israel out of Egypt, out of slavery, and he kind of meets with them at Mount Sinai and he gives them the Ten Commandments and these rules to govern them by and a kind of a system to protect them. And the first three commands he gives were all about people's relationship with God. The first one is don't have any other gods but me. The second one is don't worship anyone but me. And the third one is take my name seriously. Don't take it lightly. And so the first three, before he ever got into the do nots and a bunch of rules and stuff like that, it was Hey, guard your heart. Don't allow your heart to be pulled astray from from it being owned by me. From me having your heart. From you worshiping and honoring me and me alone. And that's what God was commanding Israel to do because he knew if their hearts are led astray and they stop worshiping God or they worship God and a bunch of other things, then all of a sudden those other things would start influencing them. And a lot of other things that don't deserve the worship that God deserves. Because in reality, the only thing that is worthy of that worship is God. And so go back to Habakkuk chapter 2. God's now responding to you know, Habakkuk with his arms crossed and him tapping his foot going, hey God, give me some answers. I'm blaming you for all this. And so God starts talking back to him and here's what he says to Habakkuk and to Israel and ultimately to us in verse 18. He says, what good is an idol that's carved by man? Or a cast image that deceives you? How foolish to trust in your own creation, a God that can't even talk. What sorrow awaits you who say to wooden idols, wake up and save us. To speechless stone images, you say, rise up and teach us. Can an idol tell you what to do? They may be overlaid with gold and silver, but they are lifeless inside. And so God in his response is saying, how ridiculous is it that you worship things that aren't worthy of being worshiped? Why would you worship things that have been created instead of me, the creator? Why would you center your life on things that are temporary, on things that cannot sustain you, on things that ultimately will never satisfy you like I can? And God is reminding Habakkuk that worship is, is to be directed at God and God alone. And so my question is, is our worship of God pure? Or do we have other things that we worship just as much as God or even more so? Are we worshiping a relationship 
that was never meant to be worshipped? Are there other things that we are chasing after that we are putting way more value and importance on than we should, especially if it overrides our worship and our value and our relationship with God? And God is warning Israel and is warning us in turn, do not worship things apart from me. Fix your eyes on me. Make sure that I have your heart. Worship me and me alone because nothing else will be able to satisfy you and I'm the only one that's worthy of your worship. And the last thing in which we're similar, and this is actually good news, is that we need a hero. We're similar to Israel in the Old Testament in a lot of ways, but we need a hero. And again, like I said at the beginning, if we stop here and go, man, that's a, that's a tragic story. I can't believe they had everything that they needed in their relationship with God, and yet they turned their back and they suffered the consequences for it. And yet, God didn't abandon Israel even though they deserved it. And his story involves a hero that's about to enter in and do something permanent. He's about to do something for Israel and for us as well that Israel could never do and that you and I could never do on our own and that's make us right with him. That's permanently reconnect us back to the Father. And so God's got a bigger plan in store and we need his grace because of our sin and we need God's help in the form of a hero who will save us and rescue us and redeem us and bring us back to him. And you and I can never as we walk through every single day, can never forget that we need a hero. And his name is Jesus. That every single day as I walk through life, I need Jesus to show up. I need Jesus to step into my life. I need him to rescue me. I need to, him to, to show up in that relationship or in those moments. I need him when I step out of bed in the morning and take my first breath that day. I need what God does in the story. He makes that possible. Not only does he reconnect us back to him, but now because of Jesus with us, Jesus stepping into our story, you and I have hope and life and freedom every single day like what we just sang about. And it's what makes this story so incredible. It's what makes, no matter what tragic situation we may be going through, no matter what struggle we may be facing, that there is still hope. That we do have something permanent to still hang on to, and it's Jesus. That we don't have to fend for ourselves. That we're not alone. That we're not hopeless. That we're not left just just to figure out this struggle and overcome the odds on our own. But rather, we can cling to Jesus every single day because of what he's done for us and given us the victory and freedom through a relationship with him. And so it's good news for Israel, even in the moments where they're led off into slavery in another country. And it's good news for you and I. Whether we've already been brought back out of slavery and experiencing that relationship, or whether right now tonight we find ourselves in that moment. There is a hero. There is hope. Jesus is stepping into your story and into my story. And he's saying, come to me. I've come to rescue you. I've come to bring hope. I've come to bring life. 
you no longer have to fend for yourselves. You no longer have to try to overcome sin on your own. You no longer have to try to earn your way back to God because you can never do it. Jesus is here. And he's made it possible for us permanently to be connected back to him. And then Habakkuk, the end of the, the, the book ends with this, with Habakkuk, once God has spoken, here's what he says. The prophet says, I have heard all about you, Lord. I'm filled with awe by your amazing works. In this time of our deep need, help us again as you did in years gone by. And in your anger, remember your mercy. God, even as we're about to be led astray because of our own sin and our own bad decisions. God, remember your mercy. And that really is the point of the Old Testament. It's not even about the people and their waywardness, even though there are lessons that we can learn from them. It's about God. It's about his mercy. It is much, much less about people's rebellion against God And it's more about God's incredible grace and patience with rebellious people. And if that's how the Old Testament ended, remember your mercy. And God's saying, I remember my mercy. I'm a merciful God. And even though you choose to do your own thing, the entire time I'm standing, you're saying, I'm here. Keep chasing after those things. You keep looking more like the world around you. You keep pointing your finger at me and blaming me for your suffering. And I'm here all along. And what I want for you is to come to me, to experience the richness of a relationship with me. And so I think for us as we go into this new year, it's a chance just for us to evaluate ourselves. Maybe we look and we go, I have been too easily influenced by other things. And I look too much like my friends around me. Talked to a couple of students over the last couple of weeks that said, man, I've chosen not to come back to Reckless because I see so many people who, they say they worship Jesus, but then I, I see a different story on the school campus. And we should not be okay with that. And there is always that tension of going, man, we want students in the room. Not every student in here is a follower of Jesus. Not every student loves God and wants to live for him. And so so many of you guys are in here because a friend invited you. And we want every single week there to be students who are lost and don't know Jesus. And they're here because you invited them. Because our hope is that as we're talking about these things, that, that God may grab a hold of their heart and reveal his goodness and his love to them. So they need to be in this room. But here's what they also need to see. They need to see that there's a difference in us who claim that we do love Jesus. They need to see a difference in our lives. They need to see that we're not just showing up here and this is a cool place to hang and we sing a few songs and we feel really good about ourselves, but then we walk back out of the building and onto our school campus or on the weekends and we look like everybody else around us. They need to see a a people reckless who are set apart They see something different in us and it looks like a relationship with Jesus that changes everything. That's what they need to see. And so if we haven't been living that way, then it's an opportunity for us to repent of that. 
God is merciful and God is saying, come to me, admit those moments and I'm ready to forgive you. And let's get started all over again and you begin to live out who God has called you to be. There's an opportunity for us to change the narrative and to say as reckless, we will be known for not for what we're not, but we will be known for who we are. We are followers of Jesus and we take that seriously and we are learning and growing every single day and discovering more about who God is and God is changing our lives and he can do the same in yours. So come with me and check this place out because God's doing a special work. That's what we're supposed to be about. And the question is, are we willing and ready and excited to be that or are we just gonna be, ah, you know what? Just be kind of a cool place. We just go and hang out for a couple hours. There's really no difference. That's called us to something greater. We've been invited into his story. And so let's make the most of it. Let's pray together. God, we need you. God, we need the hero. We cannot love you on our own. We cannot live for you on our own. We cannot overcome the pain and the suffering and the obstacles and all the things that we face on our own. God, I pray that you would not allow our pride or anything else to distract us or get in the way of us realizing that. We need the hero. And thank God the hero came. Jesus, thank you that you stepped into our mess. Thank you, God, that starting next week, we get to really dive into that and look at the hero arriving on the scene and changing the story. Thank you, God, that we are now part of the story, experiencing the hope that Israel never got a chance to experience of knowing you intimately and being reconnected back to you. God, I pray if there are students in the room who have never taken that step, God, that tonight they'd put their faith and trust in you. I pray for students, leaders, God, for those of us who are straddling the line and we're saying one thing, but yet we're living something to set apart for your purposes. God, that we would no longer go through the motions, but God, that you would stir up in us a desire to live out the commands that you've given us, to know you, to walk with you, God, to live and experience the fullness and the richness of a life with you that would cause us to look drastically different than the world around us. God, would you do that in us? We need you. We love you. We praise you. And everybody said, amen.